And I'm definitely not talking about hair because that doesn't happen for me. So we're growing, not just outwardly, but inwardly we are growing. You know, marriage is a lifetime of adjustments as we grow to know each other better. Love moves a person to embrace change in their life. And as a result, the more they get to know the person they love, the more they find they have to adjust themselves. You are not in love with another person if you're unwilling to adjust. Unwillingness to adjust is not an exhibition of love. It's an exhibition of selfishness. It is love that enables us to embrace change. And without love, we insist that the other party do all the changing to accommodate us. Well, that's a dictatorship. That's not a relationship. That's a dictatorship. If I insisted that Sheila had to completely adjust herself to accommodate me and who I am, end of story, that would make me a dictator, not a husband, not a friend. Come on. Where love is at work, the ability to change is present. It is always present. Now, for our granddaughter Susanna's birthday, one of the gifts we gave her is a jelly bean coin bank. You're welcome, John. She can put in a coin, and when she turns the crank, it's going to give her several jelly beans to satisfy her craving for sweets. And of course, they want to regulate it. But she can be very determined. I want jelly beans. I want jelly beans. I want jelly beans. Right? It's an instant gratification toy. Nothing about that machine requires Susanna to change. She gets to expect she'll get what she wants because a coin will make the mechanism work. And it's going to dispense what she desires when she puts the coin in. Sadly, too often, many relationships are treated in a similar way. Someone wants or needs something, so they think of what they can say or quickly and conveniently do to get a source to give them what it is they seek. It's more like bartering than a loving relationship. More like a business deal than a relationship. It doesn't require the effort of getting to know someone just for the joy and the purpose of growing and understanding one another. See, that's work. And sadly, this is how many tend to treat Jesus. They don't really want to get to know him all that much. They just need him to give them what they want. It's all right if he remains at a distance, so long as he shows up to do what's desired in a specific moment. But such thinking is not rooted in real relationship. It's not. Wanting the other person to get to know you and understand you without any effort on your part to invest in that way towards them is a one-sided situation. It constitutes using another person for selfish reasons. And selfishness really only requires a what's-in-it-for-me attitude of heart. And you'll, you'll see it really at work when the what's-in-it-for-me diminishes just enough that I'm out of here. I'm done. I don't need you anymore. Being one-sided is not a good recipe for strong healthy. And you can't trust someone who engages you in a one-sided way. You're a human being. You will always find it difficult to trust someone who comes at you with a one-sided agenda. It's a given. It's always a given. Sadly, on the other side of the coin, many view Jesus as being one-sided himself. They see him as only expecting things from them in a one-sided way. They think he's not out to do for them as much as he is to get from them. And when that's the case, they struggle to trust him. 
The thing that can cause you to struggle to trust the Lord is when you see him as a dictator instead of a friend. As a dictator instead of a father. As a dictator instead of a husband. And you think that he's only out to get what he can get from you. And doesn't care about what you need from him. It's a wrong perspective. And here's why. Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice. When we had nothing to offer him. But our sin. That's when he gave himself. He didn't give himself when you got your act together. Because you never did get your act You still don't have your act None of us do. He took the first step of establishing trust by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. That's what he did. He demonstrated a character of faithfulness, willingness, love, and compassion that should empower us in a, in a deep level of trust in him. That's what it should empower. But it can't empower that if we're not understanding it correctly. Listen to what it says in Romans 5.8. It says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, as wonderful as the truth sounds, a deep level of trust isn't produced by comparing the truth to others. It's the fruit of getting to know Jesus personally for yourself. That's where deep trust comes from. It's mine. Some of the most precious gems on the earth have deep minds to get to them. If you want deep trust, you've got a mind. What is your mining process? Getting to know Jesus. Not being caught up in the you know, the Western Christian ideology that if you know something intellectually, it's equal and on par with having it. That's not true. The Lord wants you to own your relationship with Him in a very personal and intimate way. And not just on Easter or Christmas. Not just on Sunday, but every day of your life. We want you to own it. As wonderful as that truth sounds, saints, that deep level of trust that you need is not going to be produced just by hearing the truth through someone else, even me. It's the fruit of getting to know Jesus personally for yourself. Now, I can have, I, there's no way I can have a healthy marriage based only on what others tell me about my wife's healing. Think about that for just a second. We've been married a lot of years. And we're happily married. We're still happy together. We still enjoy one another's company. Empty nesting has been one of the greatest things of our experience. <laughs> we didn't really get to experience it. Our, our, our girls were honeymoon twin baby girls. That's when they were conceived on the honeymoon. In just a few months, you know, the, the time allotted for childbirth went by and boom, they were here. We had a very short stint of just being husband and wife. So when the time for empty nesting came along, we didn't have to go through mourning about it. We were like, yeah. <laughs> We didn't do that enthusiastically. We're leaving me hanging really bad here. <laughs> yeah. But see, if all I did was think that my relationship with her 
was drawn based on what other people could tell me about her. Eventually, that's not going to be enough. At some point, that's not going to be enough. When is it not going to be enough? When she needs to be understood by me. Not going to be enough. Because all I'll have is the pat answer. Relationship requires effort on the part of both parties. Deep trust in relationship requires grand effort on the part of both parties. You're not earning love. You already have it. You're not earning trust. He's already given you his trust. And he's not trying to earn your trust. He's already done everything he's supposed to do to demonstrate to you that not only does he love you, but he understands you. But if you're unwilling to come to the table of relationship intimacy with him and get to know him better, you're not going to know how far he's gone on your behalf to make sure that you can complete all that you're called to complete and you can be all that he says you are and you can do all he's given you to do because it's not up to you and your ability. He's giving you the ability when he calls you out. But you can't know that and trust that if you're not growing in your knowing him. You can't. You can go to conferences on identity in Christ. You can sit under the preaching of New Covenant truth for years. Literally. And not gain the kind of ground you will gain if you just invest on your side of this relationship in getting to know him better. See, to have a healthy relationship with my wife, it's going to require effort on my part to see her, hear her, be with her in ways that advance my understanding of her. It's important to her that I know the things that she likes, that I know the things that move her heart, that I know the things that create joy. Paul said, I'm not, I'm not a steward of your faith, but I do wish to be an enabler of your joy. I have to be very purposeful and intentional on my end for our relationship to be healthy and to grow. It's also going to require me to get over myself at times so I can hear and see what's really going on and what she's really trying to say or do. And not just rush in and rush out like I already know it. When in fact I don't. The Lord is so multifaceted in his character and in his nature, it's not a cookie cutter response every time. It kills me when I see people that go and they read, well, Jesus, Jesus blew. And they receive the Holy Spirit. So now you've got this guy who's going to blow on everybody. And he has halitosis. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Well, Jesus blew. Yeah, one time. Every time it came to the Holy Spirit, he didn't blow on somebody. Every time somebody was mute, he didn't spit on their tongue. 
Every time somebody was whining and spitting the dirt and make a mud ball and put it on their eyes and tell them to go wash the pool, that happened one time. Our Lord is multifaceted. But you know what we are? We are method and program oriented by nature. But relationship won't function healthily that way. You cannot have a healthy relationship by methodology. There's not a program for a healthy marriage relationship. You have to be continually adjustable. You have to be committed to deep trust in the relationship to the depth that you're willing to do whatever is necessary to plug in and learn and discover so you can respond. But you know, we live in a culture where everything's meant to happen fast. We want it now. We want it all, and we want it now. We don't want to have to do anything at all. And it's not like you're going to earn it. The problem is you can't see it. And what you can't see, you can't be, and you can't do. You won't be able to do it. You have to be able to see and feel according to the Spirit. See, it's not like she was established some difficult condition in order for me to be able to know her. She's not making me earn it. It's just how things work in human beings. It's how we as human beings experience growth and develop trust. I'm not trying to earn anything from her. I'm simply enjoying the journey of continually getting to know her and grow together in life. She's different from who she was when I first married her. I'm different from who I was when she first married me. Why? Because when you get married, you're young and dumb. Let's <laughs> just be honest. You think you have the world by the tail. I don't need somebody that telling me how to have a good marriage. We love each other. That's all that matters. And then she's mad at you one night because you brought her a flower and it's not her favorite flower at all. Or you're mad at her because she bought you a present and indicates she doesn't know a thing about you. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? If you don't grow together, come on. There's a mutual thing that goes on and it has nothing to do with earning anything. It has nothing to do with meriting anything. It has to do with whether you are awake aware in a moment what he is like in this situation what is he like see we can't grow together in life if it's just a one sided thing see some people will give you this marriage advice marriage what they mean is you'll occasionally sir wash the dishes and sometimes ma'am you'll take out the trash if you please it's like you divvy up your responsibilities in the household and you do half of them and she does half of them and that's supposed to be the secret to a happy marriage come on that is not the secret to a happy marriage. The secret to a happy marriage is a healthy relationship between two people. That's the secret. It's two people who have committed themselves in love to one another in such a different degree that they want their trust of each other to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And they understand that for that to happen, they got to get to know the other person. And they got to show up. 
in a way that demonstrates they know the other person. Oh, come on, I'm preaching better than that. <laughs> I'm giving you some profound revelation that can help you in every relationship facet of your life, but especially in your relationship with Jesus Christ. See, I believe this is the understanding Paul was speaking from when he penned what he did to the Philippians. Open your Bible to Philippians 3, 7 through uh, 14. This is the first uh, 16th of my sermon. I'm kidding. I'm almost done. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 7, we'll read all the way down to verse 14. Paul's speaking here, and take, take note that in this letter, he's well advanced in his years of ministry and, and journey in the spirit of the Lord as an apostle. He says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain He's not earning Jesus. He's talking about growing revelation and understanding. Not merit. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I am already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, by the way, what do you think Jesus laid hold of you? Relationship. This is what Paul's talking about. Everybody reads that and they're thinking, he's talking about some amazing, powerful, internationally recognized ministry. If that's all you got for ambition, God help you. Knowing Jesus will put you wherever he wants to put you, doing whatever he wants you to do. But the thing to pursue is not that. It's him. It's him. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He's talking about the continual discovery. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's talking about that relationship intimacy that captivates you. It, it enraptures you in awe and in wonder of who he is, who the Father is, what the Holy Spirit is like. These are the things that Paul is talking about. After all that Paul had gone through already, having been taught by Jesus for three years, being caught up to the third heaven, spending time with the other apostles, establishing so many churches throughout Asia and the Gentile world, you would think he knew all there was to know about Jesus. But Jesus is far too great to be fully known. You will spend your life in discovery mode when it comes to the majestic Savior we belong to. I have a question for you. Is there a man here who can honestly say he knows his wife so completely there's nothing further he could discover about her? Anybody? Any woman? Able to say that about her husband? Your Honor, can, if, if you're still on discovery mode in your marriage, and we're finite, 
discovery mode with a God who is infinite, immeasurable, all-powerful, the source of all wisdom, the very source of love itself. He's not just the source. He is love. He's not just the source of wisdom. He is wisdom. He's not just the source of power. He is power. He's not just the source of life. He is life. In fact, he is unapproachable life. Think about that. Everything that we esteem as being wonderful it is only that because God is, is that and he created out from himself the things that we see in our world today. You understand that? That's our God. And, and our God who is so amazing. I love Solomon's prayer when he's going to dedicate the temple. I, I've been in those passages this week. I was just looking at it, and I was refreshing how it was that I came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit so supernaturally. Because I had read those passages briefly, and, and I just thought to myself, man, if that's the case, there's got to be more to you, Lord, than what I'm experiencing right now, and I'll take whatever that is. And the passages are simple. Paul Solomon is, is, is getting ready to dedicate the temple, and in his prayer, he's saying, the heaven of heavens cannot Shall I build a temple of God? What's happening? Solomon is thinking about his And it's reordering his thoughts about the temple itself. And it's opening him up to the instruction of the Holy Spirit about what? your life. If you're not investing in the other side of this relationship, making the discovery so that you get opened up on the I'm just going to do what I do and trust that God bless us. That'd be like me coming home saying, well, honey, I just bought this, I just bought that. Hope you're satisfied with it. We shouldn't have that. We don't need that. Too late, son, get it. We just need to get on board with blessings. Like that. Come on. That's a one-sided relationship. Totally one-sided relationship. Ladies, the packages are showing up. The husband's saying, well, what's this? When did you order this? Well, you're just going to have to get on board and bless it. Where'd that dress come from? I just bought it. You're going to have to get on board. You got 93 pairs of shoes already. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I'm just throwing out examples. Be okay, right? Yeah. You just got to bless it. Mister, you don't get to drive home in a new car that just stretched your family's budget to the nth degree and just say, get over it. You just got to bless it. I, just, I felt like I was supposed to have it. You know, I felt gets people in a lot of trouble. It can get you in a lot of trouble. It is far better to be able to say, man, I sought the Lord. And I have a clear instruction from the Holy Spirit on this matter. But when you're getting that, a lot of times she's going to move you to go with, especially if you're married, to go to your spouse and say, look, I've been seeking the Lord. And this is what he's been speaking to me. Let's pray to this. When the Lord was going to call me out to 
component thing, but back then you had a phone, a phone on the wall, remember? You had a, a, an actual mine came into your house. A phone line. I know that's hard for some of you to imagine. But, but you had this, and it was big. It was a big device on the wall that hung there, you know? And, and, and it had these two speakers. One went to here, one went to saw. It was on this handle thing. It hung out. It had a cord. You could buy a long cord so you could go further around the house if you wanted to. But you were tethered. Well, that, that phone rang, and I answered it. It was the leadership of the church that I was in. And they said, we'd like to meet with you. And I had just stepped down from being over a lot of house churches in that church because of the hours I was working in, small children. It wasn't fair that I didn't have to be at all the meetings, and everybody else did. I just I felt like the, the Lord had told me to step back for this season. I didn't know he was preparing me for something more. So I let them know I'm stepping back. And the phone rang on the wall. And the lead pastor on, on the phone, Ken, can you come in and meet with me? Sure. He said, what's that about? I said, well, they want me to meet with him. He said, what have you done now? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? What did you do? I haven't done anything. You know, the last thing I did was just meet with him and tell him I was going to step back. And because my hours are too much, and I'm a big preacher, I'm just stepping back. And uh, he said, well, what do they want you to come in for? I said, I believe they're going to ask me to plan a church. He said, no, I'm not being a pastor. Said, Let's just get that settled right now. You're not ready to pastor, and I'm not going to be a pastor's wife. So I'm going to a meeting that I believe the Holy Spirit has shown me. They're going to ask me to plan a church, knowing that my wife is at home in disagreement with becoming a pastor. <laughs> So I go to the meeting, sure enough, we'd like you to plan a church. Really now? What do you think about that? Can I have some time to pray about it? My wife's against it. <laughs> How do you know she's against it? Because I told her I thought that's what I was coming here to hear. Oh, okay, so you're on board with it. You know, the Holy Spirit's already spoken to you. I said, yeah, but she needs to be on board with it. So on the drive home, I'm saying, Lord, you got to speak to Sheila. She can hear you. She hears you all the time. I need you to speak to her and put in her heart a desire for me that you're wanting me to do this. I'm ready to do it if you're telling me to do it, but I need her on board with me. I got home. Before I could get in the door, she's opening it up. And she says, I know. I'm going to be a pastor. <laughs> Not the typical pastor. <laughs> but see, if there hadn't been a relationship, this church wouldn't exist. There's no way there'd be a harvest church today. There's a harvest church today because there's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? See, if I refuse to invest in a way that's going to lead me to greater discoveries of Jesus, it's likely that I'm treating Jesus like a convenient jelly bean machine that I only go to when I want something for myself. Can I say something? And I'm not condemning anybody, I'm not judging anybody, and I'm not looking to shame you. But if the only time you find yourself praying to Jesus is when you're in a, in, in a dire situation, you're just wanting something. That's not relationship. It's not. If I'm doing that, I'm being one-sided towards Jesus. And here's the here's the danger of that. If he doesn't meet my expectations. I may go away attentive and claim that others have misled me concerning him and how he responds to prayer. Well, I prayed, and I believe God was going to do that. I mean, I heard the pastor say that Jesus heals twice. I heard the pastor 
say here is still for today. So, so I believe that. You believe that because the pastor said it, or you believe that because you know that's your Jesus. There's a difference in those two things. And I love having your respect. I'm glad, but, but I, I know for a fact that you'll go a lot further if you know for a fact that's your Jesus. Yeah. Amen. I know it sounds ridiculous that people will get offended and make statements like that, but it's a common occurrence in the lives of men. And meanwhile, Scripture clearly testifies that no, I cannot lie. His word is true. That means he's reliable and that his promises are sure. But to get to the level of trust that it takes to, to take him at his word, it's not easy by snapping your fingers. I wish it were. I wish it were as easy as me just looking at you and saying, this is yours. All the miracles of Jesus did. You know what I mean? See, that kind of trust comes by knowing him and becoming familiar with his character and his name. Your faith, I'm going to say this very clearly, and I want you to hear this. Your faith cannot outpace your knowledge of him. I need to say that again. Your faith cannot outpace your knowledge of him. If you're struggling in your faith, it's time to get alone with him. Don't make it about the thing you're trying to believe for. Make it about knowing him. Are you hearing me? Amen. Make it that. You'll not have a faith that goes ahead of what you've come to know about him. It doesn't work that way. The reason Abraham could offer up Isaac is revealed to us in the book of Hebrews. Abraham believed that God would raise him up. Why? Because he knew God well enough that God keeps his promise and he won't violate his word. He knew God that way. And because he knew God that way, he could trust so deeply, he could put everything on the back of a donkey, tell his servant, remain here while me and my son go to worship with the full intention of binding Isaac, putting him on the altar and thrusting a knife into his chest. Because he believed God would raise him up. He didn't see God's request as odd or weird. He saw it for what it was. He's probably testing me. And he passed the test. Why? Because he had a relationship with God. He didn't have a religious structured Sunday after Sunday type of thing going on. He knew his God. The kind of trust that we need and we should be desiring comes by knowing him and becoming familiar with his character and his nature. I'm going to be so bold as to say your faith is going to camp out at the level of your revelation of him. When you see somebody walking in a, a more profound faith than what you're accustomed to, it's not because they have some major revelation on faith. They've got a revelation of Jesus. They've seen Jesus in a way you haven't seen him. That's the difference. That's the difference. 
hope you're hearing this. Man. I encourage you to invest in getting to know him more and more. See, growing in the knowledge of him is not earning anything. It's just simply how you grow. To know how much you're growing in him, knowing him, just ask yourself where the level of your faith and trust toward him is right now. Don't be discouraged by what you find. Simply determine to approach him now even more. It's that simple. Your faith is never going to outpace what you know about him. When the word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the words are being. Jesus is the word of God. Get to know Jesus, your faith will grow. When it says Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. You know what you're doing when you're praying in the Spirit? You're in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is imparting to your spirit revelation and understanding concerning Jesus. You're getting to know Him. The more you know Him, the stronger your faith grows, the deeper your trust. Yes, the roots of your trust go deep. They find the water of the Spirit to quench the thirst. Do you know? Paul, at the end of his days, his cry is that I might know. So if you feel like I don't know him, like I ought, you're in good company. We're all in good company. One of the great apostles said that day. So it's not a shameful thing for us to feel like we could grow in this area of our life. Amen? Are you able to receive this this morning? Already the Holy Spirit has moved in our midst to touch people, community, and all that. Even before I brought this word, but just what might go on and out there if we're all growing in our knowing. <laughs> Amen. It's only going to intensify. It's only going to increase. We've come into a new covenant that is of a greater glory and ever-increasing glory. It doesn't go backwards. It goes forward. Come on. But it goes forward on the basis of knowing the one who made the covenant happen. The reason for communion is remembering him. And with each remembrance, being reminded of how amazing he is and learning something new about him. See, whatever your difficulty is right now in your life, you need to plug in to know Jesus in the area of his character and his nature that addresses that specific thing going on in your life. That's where your freedom flows from. That's where your peace flows from. And that's where the power to overcome comes from. He'll be everything that you need. But he'll be that on his terms, not yours. He's not going to be everything you need according to your way of doing it. He's going to be everything you need according to what he knows needs to be done and he expects you to change to meet his wisdom about your matters and do as he would tell you to do. Are you ready to embrace that? Yes. Will you stand for your feet? I'll catch you long time. Thank you, Mary. Father, we are gathered here today in your name. You've been manifesting here in our midst already. We are grateful for that. Very grateful for your presence. But Lord, we are here to confess before you of the firm grace that our knowledge of Jesus is 
five millimeters on it. So we're asking you to help us invest ourselves in the right to meet this challenge for that world to come. We want our lives to expand. We want our openness to the work of the Spirit to grow and increase. We need your wisdom. We need your power. We need all that you have to give us. And we need it in the way that you want it. We need to know in our current situation, Lord, what you would say to us. How you would lead us and instruct us. We need to know that very specifically, Lord, so that we can take steps actively to implement your wisdom in our lives. Some are here and they have relationships with difficulties going on right now, but they need wisdom from heaven on. We're asking you to bring them by manifesting yourself in fresh revelation to the Spirit. Some are here, they, they got to make a job decision, a financial decision. We ask you to manifest yourself in such a way that they get a fresh revelation of who you are and, and move in faith according to you and not just what they would in their flesh like to see happen. Lord, it's when we see you that I desire to cultivate. We're asking you to cultivate the desires you want us to have by showing yourself to us in revelation from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need your help. If we're going to walk with you and walk according to how you would lead us, our fellowship with you needs to increase. We need you to pull back the veil that's been in front of Jesus at this time and let us see clearly according to new covenant glory and understanding who Jesus really is. We're asking you, Lord, especially now when there's so much nonsense going on outside and inside the church. So we trust you with this, Lord, and we say, show us the time you want from us, when you want it, how you want it. Lord, energize us to do this. We even need help.